Okay. Is everybody good? So let me ask you, let me start with this question today. Do you believe that you were born with a purpose? Do you believe that you were born with a purpose? Because the reality, friends, is sometimes it's hard to see when life happens. Has life ever happened to you? You know what I'm talking about? Life doesn't go the way that you think that it will. Life throws you a curveball. Sometimes life just happens. The, the reality is, is it happens with inventions as well. Some of the things that you're most familiar with when it comes to products uh, that you may use every day were not created for that purpose. Anybody in here a Coca-Cola fan? It's my one addiction. I love my dad. Is, you can blame him for that. Anybody in here a Pepsi fan? Okay, let's pray for you right now. <laughs> Believe it or not, Coca-Cola was invented by a guy it's to counter morphine addiction. Dr. John Pemberton was injured in the last battle of the Civil War called the Battle of Columbus. And as a pharmacist, he knew that he needed to try to create a cure so he wouldn't be addicted to morphine. And so he put alcohol and cocoa leaves together and began to drink that. Now, anybody know what cocoa leaves are famous for, for making? Why do you know that? Cocoa leaves are famous for making cocaine. So he put alcohol and cocoa leaves together and unbelievably it started helping people with headaches and anxiety and also it was used as a nerve tonic to relieve exhaustion. That's what Coca-Cola was created for and now it has other addictive qualities as I can attest to. Anybody ever heard of Listerine? What is Listerine created for? No, it was created as a floor cleaner and a surgical antisept. And interestingly enough, it didn't do very well. Now, my question is, is what person decided, oh, this floor cleaner and antisept would be interesting for me to taste. But when they discovered that it was a cure for bad breath, it just started flying off the shelves. Anybody ever play with Play-Doh? Anybody have kids, grandkids, great-grandkids? Play with Play-Doh. My kids love Play-Doh. Our children's ministry does such a good job of uh, incorporating that. My kids come home with little jars of Play-Doh and they're so excited. Do you know what it was originally intended to do? It was originally intended to help clean soot off wallpaper. But once wallpaper was made in such a way that you could use soap and water to clean it, Play-Doh lost its usefulness. And so until it was remarketed, as a um, modeling clay for children, it wasn't successful. Today, you know all of those products, not for what they were intended or what they thought the purpose would be, but for what they became. It's interesting in this life that we find values and things that we thought were created for another purpose. So what if I ask you this question? How has life turned out for you? When you were 15, 16, 12 years old and you looked at your life, what did you think your life would become? What did you think would play out in your life? Does anybody ever plan for heartache or change or growth? I would wager a guess. That in this room, if I were to ask every one of you, has life worked out the way that you thought it would? 92.7%, that's an accurate 
statistic. You know, uh, 76% of statistics are made up on the spot. (laughs) But that is an accurate statistic of where we find ourselves in life. But what if I told you that God created you for a purpose and that purpose may not be what you thought it would be? There's this interesting passage in Jeremiah. Remember, Jeremiah is known as the weeping weeping prophet. He prophesies to a group of people who've had to be uh, taken from their homeland and were living in a land that was not their own. But he was still pointing people to a place of worship and reminding them of who they are and whose they are. And this is what he writes in Jeremiah chapter 18. He says, Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house. I will give you my message there. Okay, Lord. I added that part in. So I went down to the potter's house and saw him working with clay at the wheel. He was making a pot from clay, but there was something wrong with the pot. So the potter used that clay to make another pot. With his hands, he shaped the pot the way he wanted it to be. For this message from the Lord came to me, family of Israel, you know that I can do the same thing with you. You are like the clay in the potter's hands, and I am the potter. Now, here's the thing I want you to know, friends. And I, John Ortberg said this originally, and I, but I believe with all my heart. God cares less about the circumstances that are surrounding you than he does what's going on inside of you. And God's desire is for you to be the best version of yourself. His desire for you is to be changed so that you can be used by the kingdom, by his kingdom to do good works, to change people's trajectories of life by sharing with them the good news, by using your gifts and talents for his kingdom's sake. And friends, if we were to remain as we thought that we should be in the beginning, we would be useless in the hands of the potter. But we serve the one who can take the mess that we find our lives and he can make beautiful sculptures out of those messes. You see, your whole life, whether you know it or not, God has been growing opportunities inside of you for you to learn and to walk with him and you to discover who he wanted you and who he wants you to be. 1985, there was a wonderful movie. Anybody alive in 1985? I remember I came down, uh, my dad took me to uh, see a movie called The Karate Kid, where one of my favorite songs also came from, Peter Gabriel, uh, Honor a Man. I don't remember the title of the the song. You you might. But... um, It was an interesting movie. It's about a kid who moved from New Jersey. He and his mom was a single mom. They moved to California. He falls in love with this girl that he, you know, just met. And he gets beat up by some karate guys uh, from Cobra Kai. Uh, And he wants to defend himself. And Mr. This guy by the name of Mr. Miyagi, who was the the maintenance man at the place that his family was staying, comes out of the darkness. And he's like 107 years old. And he does these karate moves and he beats all of, uh, all of Cobra Kai. And Daniel's like, you got to teach me this stuff. I got to learn to defend myself. Will you teach me? And finally, Mr. Miyagi reluctantly agrees. And he says, I'm going to teach you the art, uh, this martial art that will protect you. Show up at this address next morning at 7 a.m. And he gets there and he's like, all right, Mr. Miyagi, let's start my karate lessons. And what happens? He says, first, 
wash all the cars and wax them. And as he's showing him, he's remember the famous line, wax on, wax off, wax on, wax off. Well, the next day, Daniel thinks he's going to learn crying. So he shows up at the house and Mr. Miyagi says, okay, today you are going to sand the floor. He's like, okay. So he sands the floor and Mr. Miyagi shows him the next day. It's paint the fence, right? Very specific how you're supposed to paint the fence. The next day it's paint the house. And finally, Daniel's had enough of it. He's like, Mr. Miyagi, I want to learn karate. And all you're making me do is turn this trash heap into a beautiful mansion. My word's not his. And it's horrible. Why? You know, I came to you to learn karate and you're making me your, your slave to do all this stuff. And, and Mr. Miyagi all of a sudden bust out the moves and he's like, wax on, wax off. And he's, he's like, these movements are the basis and foundation for your self-defense. The whole time Daniel thought he was learning how to work for Mr. Miyagi for free. And the whole time Mr. Miyagi is giving him valuable life lessons in the martial arts and how to survive. But he doesn't see that when he's in the midst of the working. Because some of life's greatest lessons God has shared with you have come in unexpected ways. And that's especially true in the life of Moses. And if you want to turn in your Bibles, you know, you can, we find in the life of Moses that we're going to study him in Exodus and Deuteronomy and Acts chapter 7 and Hebrews. Today, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 7. There's a, there's a really powerful, insightful verse there. Uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 22. If you want to underline it in your Bible, I'd love for you guys to bring your Bible so that you can get used to continue to turn the page, turn in your mobile devices or your scrolls, whatever they may be today. But we're going to look at Acts chapter 7, verse 22. And this is what it says about the life of Moses. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was powerful in both speech and action. If you have your Bibles here, your mobile device, I want you to underline three words. Wisdom, speech, and action. You see, what we're going to see in this text is that Moses was raised to rule when God allowed him to be pulled out of the water by the princess of Egypt. He was taught wisdom as he was growing up. He learned to motivate and to influence. He was a man of action. And he was being molded and melded. And what happens when you are raising a ruler, raising someone to lead, you are giving somebody the ability to command. And he was being shaped. His iron will was being fashioned into leadership ability. And what we see is that in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, that he gained wisdom and he was powerful in both speech and action. The ability to lead, the ability to, to willfully do things that you were created to do doesn't happen by accident. How many of you have kids? Okay, now this is, I'm going to ask you a question. This is just going to stay in here between us today, okay? Forget that it's on, on live stream and, you know, once it's on the internet, it'll never be gone. Did any of your kids have strong wills growing up? 
You know, one of my favorite stories is, uh, this is for free today, but one of my favorite stories is the <laughs> story of a family that was going to go to Greece uh, for for a holiday. And uh, their son flunked school, so he had to stay home and go to summer school. And when they got to a certain part in Athens, they the uh, the leader of the trip said, this is where... Um, parents would stand on the cliffs and sacrifice their children. And um, so the mother wrote her son a postcard. Today we stood on the cliff where parents sacrificed their children. Wish you were here. <laughs> Kids can have strong wills, right? And what, how we respond to that strong will is going to define who they become and, and how they can use that gift and talents. Listen, I live in a family. My wife has a very strong will. And she says that I do, which I think is totally not right. But we have four kids and all of them seem to have gotten my wife's strong will. My son Zeke is two and a half, right? And the other day, they, they want to sneak drinks of my Diet Coke because they see daddy drinking and I, try, I don't want them to drink it. And so um, every once in a while, I'll catch one of them trying to take a little sip. And um, Zeke grabbed my cup the other day and he started to drink it. And I'm like, Zeke, you put down daddy's pop. He said, no. I said, what? What did you say? He looked at me and he smiled and he put his little hands on his hip and he said, I said, no. <laughs> little Zeke needed a little correction, which he received, and his attitude changed. But Erica looks at me and she said, Shane, just remember, we call that leadership skills. <laughs> right? Because there has to be a raw material that is fashioned into doing the right thing, to not backing down, to having a strong bent to having a strong desire to move forward and you need to take that raw material if i looked at my son and expected him to have leadership skills as he is i would be greatly disappointed but if i could see in him the future and what he's capable of and be reminded by my beautiful bride who has so much wisdom he is more than he seems now we just have to fashion that weakness into a strength we would understand that God has given us raw material to work with and what we see, what we believe, what we know is not the end of the story. We are being refined and we are being made useful in his sight. So the inconsistencies that we walk with, God has great desire to transition and transform into a strength. And so when you look at your life and you're filled with disappointment about the what ifs and the why can'ts and the why nots, he's not done with you yet. You are not a finished product. Now, wives, now is not the time to look at your husband and say, mm-hmm. God was molding Moses for a purpose that he couldn't and wouldn't understand for at least 40 years. Egypt was the greatest nation in the world at that time. And he was able to learn from the very best teachers in the world. He attended the, the Princeton, Harvard, Indiana University of that day. It was called the Temple of the Sun or the Temple of Ra. And according to Josephus, the ancient historian, Moses was a brilliant tactician in general. He was a leader of men because he was raised to rule. 
He was in line to be Pharaoh. And so he needed wisdom and to be an influencer and have great speech, speaking ability. And to be a man of action. According to Josephus, this is not a biblical story, but this is from an extra biblical story, which is where we get a lot of information. It really confirms that these people lie. I mean, it's amazing stuff. Josephus tells us a story about Moses when he was under the rule of Pharaoh being groomed as a successor and as a leader. The story goes that the Egyptians and the Ethiopians came into conflict and their two armies met and the Ethiopians defeated one of the greatest armies in the world, the Egyptians, and decimated them and began pushing all the way to Memphis. At that time, uh, the Egyptians were scared to death because they thought that their kingdom was going to fall. And so they went to their divinations, they went to their oracles, and they said, what do we need to do to survive? And somehow, the answer came back, make Moses the general of your army and let him lead, which made the Egyptians nervous. And so they decided to do that. They made him the general of their armies. Now, where the Ethiopians had made camp, they expected the Egyptian army to have to come by water because it was the only access point uh, to do battle. The only other area that the Egyptians could come through was infested with poisonous snakes. And it was impossible for an army to go through there without losing a great number of soldiers. And so they waited and built their defenses up again from a a water assault. Well, Moses had a different plan, according to Josephus. He took a bird called an ibis. Anybody know what an ibis is? There will be a picture of one up here in a second. They're also native to Florida, but they're in the Nile. He took all of these birds and he put them in baskets because the ibis is the natural predator of what? Snakes. And when they got to the infested area, he let all of the birds free and they pushed the, the poisonous snakes out of that area. And Moses led the Egyptian army through that area and they smashed the Ethiopians who ran back to one of their strongholds and they were eventually defeated by the general Moses because he was a great tactician, he had wisdom, and he was a man of action. But we know from Scripture that although he had been raised to rule, he was created to shepherd. Listen to what Psalm 77, 20 says. There is a difference between ruling and shepherding. A ruler leads from the front and dictates, right? What does a shepherd do? It takes care of their flock. It cares about the people that they're leading. It thinks about their needs before their own. There is a, a significant difference between rulers and shepherds. Psalm seventy-seven twenty says this. You led your people along the road like a flock of sheep, speaking of God, with Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. But it doesn't make sense. Why would God put Moses in a place of influence to become the next Pharaoh of Egypt if he wasn't going to allow him to be there? I mean, couldn't God free the Hebrew nation by making Moses Pharaoh? None of this makes sense. You'll see it as the story plays out. And it will take 40 years for Moses to understand that God would use the skills that he had given to him, that he learned in Egypt to become the shepherd of God's very own people. Do you ever consider that God can use what you learned in your past to serve him in your future? Is it possible that God can take the mistakes that you've made, the trades that you've learned, the opportunities that you had experienced, that your history 
the wisdom that you've gained from all of those things to lead in the future and to serve our king in the future, even today? Is it possible that God can take the brokenness of a past and make it into a beautiful mosaic in the future? Do you believe, do you know that God wants to use you for greatness today? Because as my wife loves to say, if you have a pulse, come on now. If you have a pulse, you have, and there's no retirement in God's kingdom. And just like Moses, though, I'm sure when those opportunities come up, there are a million reasons that go through your mind of why you shouldn't serve God in the way that you know intimately Deep inside of your heart, not because somebody told you, but because you know that God is asking you to serve there. You have a million reasons why you can't do it. I'm too old. My time has passed. No one would want me. I'm a throwaway. You know, I'm just going to let these young people do this stuff. And I don't need to be a greeter or serve in this ministry or use my gift and talents that I was educated for to impact the church in the culture and in this world. When all that God is saying to you is it's not done. You're not done. It's not over. There's still a purpose for you. We need you in the kingdom of God to move, be movers and shakers and share your wisdom and experience with the next generation so that they can spend it and share it with the next generation. Friends, don't you understand that God has left you here not to while away until your days are gone, but because he wants to use you to move the ball down the field. Because if you have a pulse, And most of the time when God calls us to do something that we're uncomfortable with, we don't feel like we are equipped to do it. But as someone once said years ago, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. You know, one of my good buddies in here is Pastor Ray. You all know Pastor Ray. Uh, Ray didn't come to know Jesus until he was 60 years old. And he and I were talking the other day about why he didn't come to the... to understand how much God loved him until then. But Ray visits folks in the hospitals for us and in the nursing homes. And he told me that the other day came to my office and said, you know, I'm going to have to cut back a little bit because I've got a new calling in life. I said, what's that Ray? He said, God told me I need to go rock babies. And I said, Ray, let's pray. Right. Now, How equipped and how solid do you think Ray feels? I mean, kids have always loved him and stuff like that, but it's hard. You moms who have raised kids and grandkids going back and rocking babies and loving on that's that's hard. But you have experience and knowledge and there are moms that need your wisdom But there's all kinds of things, friends, in the kingdom of God that you can do to use your gifts and talents. And the world needs you. The kingdom needs you. And the Lord is speaking to your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit, I believe, right now. And telling you where you can serve. Telling you what he's asking you to do. Even if you don't know that that's that's true. Because God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And if he has put a call on your life... He's going to use you and he's going to walk you through it. Even when you feel like your hair is on fire, if you have any left and that the world is burning down around you. 
This is what Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 says. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases who? Him. So my question is, are you listening? Are you listening to his voice? Because I want you to know that you're, you have a past that has a future. You have a past that has a future. And along the way, you have received bumps and bruises and scrapes. And you've made decisions that you wish you could change. And you've also made great decisions that God is using and that you're proud of and that you enjoy. But friends, maybe you didn't know this, but God is going to use your past in the future. He's going to use your experience, your challenges, your successes to serve in the kingdom today. Your past has a future. And Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's... He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And I love that word, he created us anew. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view... At one time, we thought, <clears throat> excuse me, of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a what? New person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. That means your past no longer has the place to hold shame or guilt or regret. Your past is no longer meant to chain you to a past that is devastating and that brings you down and makes you feel useless. What God is saying is that he's created you anew. He's using your past to fashion you into the person you need to be so that you can take the good news of Jesus Christ to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation and your generation and your family and your kids and your neighbors because at the end of the day, the most important thing that matters in this life is Jesus Christ. Jesus, 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 Jesus is the life and the answer to all of life's ills, and we cannot survive without Jesus. Let me give you some examples of a past that God used. Anybody know who uh, Liz Curtis Higgs is? <clears throat> Liz, anybody know who that is? She is an author. She's written books uh, like um, Women of the Bible. Uh, that's not the title of it, though. Um, Bad Girls of the Bible. And um, so interesting stuff from a Christian perspective. But Liz Curtis Higgs was not always a Christ follower and a national speaker to women's groups. Uh, She wrote Bad Girls of the Bible is the name of the book she wrote. She was a shock jock in the 70s and 80s. Anybody alive in the 70s and 80s? Anybody know of a guy named Howard Stern? She is a guy that ran with Howard Stern. Uh, she was spiraling in her life, she says, uh, and she says her life was consumed with literally sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Uh, when she was working with Howard Stern, they were in a Detroit, uh, radio station, a hard rock station. He had the morning show. She had the afternoon show. One day he walked in and she was doing a line of cocaine and he said to her, this is Howard Stern speaking to Liz Curtis Higgs. 
Liz, you got to clean up your act. How bad of a person do you have to be for Howard Stern to say you got to clean up your act? But she didn't listen. In 1981, she found herself working in an oldie station in Louisville, Kentucky. There she met a, a couple who were successful in radio, which she admired. But more importantly, what they wanted to talk with her about more than anything was Jesus. Not because they were trying to sell a product, but because that's who was the center of their life. And um, interestingly enough, there was a local church in town that ran about 10,000 that I think that they went to. And um, she had had run-ins with members of this church who would call the radio station and say, you're crass, our church is against you, um, we're praying for you, and it just made her mad. Finally, she connected with some of the leadership of the church, and they're like, listen, um, we love you. In fact, not only do we, we'd love for you to just come and be a part of our service sometime. You can be incognito, which means secret. And um, no one will have to know that you're here and, and um, just check it out. See what we're about. And because her friends were Christians and they, they would go with her, she decided to go one Sunday. She attended seven weeks. She joined the choir. And on the seventh week, which was February 21st, 1982, she stepped out of the choir loft to give her life to Jesus Christ and it changed her forever. Now hear me, friends. Her past life is what allowed her to build a bridge to her future life. She had the ability to speak to folks that no one else could communicate with. Because of who she was and what God had done through her. And friends, I'm telling you, God wants to do the same thing to you today. There are people that only you can speak to that would never listen to me. Not just because I'm from Indiana, but because of where I've come from in life and where you've come from in life. And you have been given a mission. And we see it all the way through our society. Uh, some of my favorite stories. Lee Strobel was the uh, legal editor for the Chicago Tribune in the 70s. And he was a wild party man. He and his wife. And his wife started going to church and he flipped out. That she was getting involved in this cult. So he decided that he was going to prove that the Bible was false and that Jesus never lived. And at the end of his research, coming from a legal lawyer standpoint, he gave his life to Christ. And this man who was so anti-God became so pro-God. And he has the ability to speak to people who are far from God in ways that you or I never could. We had Michael Franzis here a couple years ago, who is a former mob captain in the Colombo crime family out of New York City, who was one of the biggest earners for the mob in the 20th century. And through a relationship that he had, he gave his life to Christ. He walked away from the mob. No one walks away from the mob. He did, gave his life to Christ, started telling people his story, and now speaks to thousands and thousands of people who otherwise wouldn't come into a church building to save their life, to share his story that has in turn saved thousands and thousands of people from an eternal separation with their creator. People that you and I couldn't communicate with. He can communicate with Chuck Colson. Maybe you're familiar with him in the 1960s. He was one of the most powerful politicians in the United States working for Nixon. He was known as a cleaner, as someone to take out the political opposition um, because of Watergate and other things associated with Watergate. He eventually went to prison. And what he noticed is that prisoners were without hope and prisoners had deep regret and were cynical and 
frustrated and he decided there needed to be someone who would minister to these people who were incarcerated. And so God used Chuck Colson to reach thousands and hundred thousands and maybe millions of people who have no hope outside of Jesus Christ, who are in a place where no one wants to go and minister to them. He started a ministry that is changing millions of lives because his past had a future. And where he used to walk gave him the ability to talk with those who are still there. But we also see it in the Bible. Saul of Tarsus, I mean, most incredible story. Who would ever think that the man who became the first killer of Christians, who's probably sat on the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of Israel, who was schooled by the very best teachers, who was in line for succession, who was rising up the ranks of the Jewish system, would be the man that Jesus would choose to be his apostle and to go and start churches and to write two-thirds of the New Testament. I mean, how does that happen except by God? How does it happen that God could pull you out of whatever mess you found yourself in to put you into a new life where you could blossom and flourish and you could use the, the past in order to speak to the future, that you could use those hurts that you've, inquired, that you've uh, received to help others who are going through that valley of the shadow of darkness as well. Mary Magdalene was a woman that we know that Jesus cast demons out of. People probably thought she was insane. It's possible that she was a prostitute, although we don't know that for sure. But after meeting Jesus, her life transformed. And who would have ever thought that the first person that Jesus would appear to after the resurrection was this woman? Because your past has a future. And God wants to re- use the redeemed you, the new you, the saved you, the forgiven you to serve in his kingdom. So do you believe that God can still use you? Do you believe that you still have worth? Turn to the person next to you and say, you have value. You have value. Yesterday, um, well, actually it was Sunday, my dad and I went, you know, it was my dad over here. My dad and I went to Adventure Christian Church in Tavares, Florida. They, we've been kind of helping that church out. And um, following the service, a 75-year-old man came up to me and was talking with me. He didn't become a Christian until he was 47 years of age. And he decided he wanted to go to a little church of 30 people. He said within a year that church grew to over 100. They needed a new building. He was a builder, so he was able to to help them and guide them. And they were able to build a building a year later, 10,000 square foot building. And they came in under like 17,000 less than the bid had been. And that ministry just continued to flourish. So since the age of 47, he'd been walking with Christ. But at the age of, uh, in 2011, I don't know how old that would make him, but in 2011... He was diagnosed with cancer, and so he started chemo treatments. Uh, I don't know if it's because of the cancer, because he had a bad ticker or a bad heart, but he's received several, if not dozens, of stints in that time since 2011. And he's starting chemo again yesterday, um, 11 rounds of chemo, to continue battling this cancer. You know what he said to me after the service? It's just the two of us. We're standing at a cross. 
He said, Shane, I know that God has a plan for me. I know that he saved me since 2011 because he's not done using me yet. I just don't know where that is. And so we prayed together that the God who knit him together in his mother's womb, who had plans for him long ago, would reveal his purpose to him today. Friends, I don't know where you are. I don't know where you are with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus. But I do know this, your past has a future. You have a hope. You're not done. If you have a pulse, you have a... Because your past has a future. But what God asks of you today is a willing heart to step into whatever he has called you to. Not having all the answers, not being perfect, but being willing. And friends, the adventure he wants to take you on will change you forever. Moses doesn't understand his true calling until he's 80 years old. And thus began the greatest adventure of his life. In just a second, we're going to sing a song of invitation. I'll be down in the front steps following the service if you want prayer today. And we'll have some prayer counselors with you. Friends, if there's anything that <clears throat> you need to go to God with, you know, the church is a family and we're here to help each other, to walk with each other. And so as we pray today, why don't you just ask God, reveal your plan to me, Lord, show my, show the worth that I have to you, to me, so that I can believe that my past has a future. Because friends, the best may just be waiting to come. Let's pray. Lord, I, I'm so grateful for the folks who are here. And Lord, I know that there are several that are at home that are watching, we pray that you would be able to, to bring us all back together again soon. But God, we know that <clears throat> every life has hurts and pains and decisions we regret and hurts that we've incurred from others whose decisions we regret. But God, we know that you're not done with us because you left us here for not just to exist, but to thrive, not just to survive but truly to live. So God, I just ask that you would um, bring healing to us, that you would energize us, that Moses could be an example to us of what you can do with a changed life when our past begins to be our future in your kingdom, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.